All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to First John. First John chapter four. First John chapter four. And we're going to begin reading in verse number seven tonight. So first John chapter four and beginning in verse number seven. First John chapter four, verse number seven says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do once again thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this church. We thank you, Father God, for the reason that we can come together, that reason being Jesus Christ. And of course, we can't have Jesus Christ without the crucifixion and the resurrection. And of course, Lord God, that brings about our salvation. We thank you for it. We ask now that You would just be with us as we pause during the middle of this week. And Father God, just be reminded of the fact that you you love us. And Lord, that you are love personified. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. You know, there are several things needed in the church to make it what Christ meant for it to be. The main thing, which has been a reoccurring theme throughout this epistle, of course, is Jesus Christ. Not only Christ by name, but his proper teaching and his person. You know, many churches today are filled with the name of Jesus Christ. But as far as his person or doctrines, they are completely lacking. You know, just because something has someone's name uh, attached to it does not necessarily mean that it stands for what they stood for. And, of course, that goes for a lot of churches. Now, we understand that Jesus Christ was the founder of the church, and he ought to have the final word in the church. Another thing that is absolutely necessary in the church is the subject that we are dealing with tonight, and that is love. As a matter of fact, when you turn to first, keep your finger in First John, but when you go to First Corinthians chapter 13 and... Of course, uh, we learn a lot about the church in Corinth, but one of the things that we learn about this church is that though it had much as far as talents, it had much as far as numbers go, uh, it had much as far as, it seems, finances, but it lacked in love. And of course, Paul's uh, conclusion to that was, it doesn't matter how much talent, doesn't matter how much money, If, as a church, you don't have love, you are nothing. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul relates them to himself as an apostle or as a preacher. And he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, this is 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 1. He says, if I have not charity, that is love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge... And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. There's a lot that could be said about those uh, portions of Scripture right there, but just suffice it to say that uh, whether a man of God or a church of God, it can have all the talent in the world. My, it can even be very charitable as far as uh, finances go. Paul talks about uh, giving everything so that others can, uh, others can uh, benefit. Boy, churches can have all kinds of programs, an orphanage, start a hospital. But if it does not have love, he says, it is nothing. Boy, we as Christians also need to have this in our lives, the ability to love. Of the mandate to love, and it is absolutely necessary in the church. So many churches are about numbers. They're numbers oriented to the point that they forget that the numbers being dealt with are actually people. We are reminded in our text that no matter what the number, God never forgets the person. So, in other words, a church is not to operate like a business where it's all about the bottom line. The church is about the people, and it's about the people loving one another. Too many churches today are war zones in which people have their own ideals, their own methods. When their own ideals or methods are not put into practice, everyone's going to hear about it in the form of bitterness, griping, gossiping, complaining, rebelling, criticizing, or other destructive manners that cause many to stumble and of course they always do it in the name of Christ well i'm not uh, i'm not i'm not bitter i'm just trying to make people better i'm not griping i'm just trying to make my point known i just want to be heard i'm not gossiping i'm telling the truth i'm not complaining and i'm not rebelling i'm not criticizing i'm just being trying to be constructive and of course, we always justify all these uh, oh, all these destructive behaviors by attaching some kind of spiritual uh, thing to it. Well, in our text, there are four things that we need to learn about love and Christianity. So let's go back to First John, First John chapter four, and we're going to begin once again in verse number seven. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7, the first thing we learn about Christianity and love is that love is Christianity's responsibility. Love is Christianity's responsibility. In other words, if you are a Christian, you have a responsibility to love. It is not an option. You don't say, well, you know, I've been hurt too often, and so I'm just not going to get attached to people. You don't say, well, I'm just going to stand here on the sidelines or I'm going to stand in the back and let everyone do their thing uh, because I'm just not going to get involved. Can I say this? You cannot love without being involved. It just is an impossibility. It doesn't happen in a relationship. If you're not involved in a relationship, you're not in a relationship. It also doesn't happen in a church. Love is Christianity's responsibility. Look at verse number 7 of 1 John chapter, chapter 4. Beloved, let us love 
one another, for love is of God. What is the term, what does the word Christian mean? It means to be Christ-like. And of course, we know Christ is God in the flesh. And so if Jesus is the manifestation of God, then we know this. God is love. And that is our responsibility. And it's a repeated command to the followers of Christ over and over and over again. Why, Jesus Christ himself commanded it to Matthew Chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Love for fellow Christians and church members is especially emphasized. We see in 1 John 3, 14, just back a chapter. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And so... uh, John here says it's the responsibility of a Christian to get involved, to love, to show love. Also in John chapter 13, John chapter 13, the gospel of John, not the letter, but the gospel of John. When Jesus is teaching his disciples here in John 13, verse number 34, he says this. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you. So, this is not an option. This is a command, he says. A new commandment. People have this idea that the New Testament is not about commandments. Oh, on the contrary. The New Testament is all about commandments. We may have a different motive in the New Testament. Our motive in the New Testament is because we love the Savior. But nonetheless... It's still a commandment. Jesus said, if you love me, there's your motivation. Keep my commandments. There's the word. And in John chapter 13, verse 34, he gives us a new commandment. He says, love one another as I have loved you. You know, people say, well, that's not a new commandment. That's been all the way through, even in the Old Testament. Love thy neighbor as thyself. It's new in the fact that Jesus has demonstrated what he means by love. As I have loved you. Um, We've always had this idea that love is conditional. Love is reciprocated. That means that we love when we're loved. But Jesus said, love as I have loved you. And of course, we see what the example is here in his love. Not that we love God but that he loved us. And so we, he's not loving us because of a response to what we've done for him. He's loving us because that's true biblical love. A new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. In other words, there's going to be members of the church who certainly have not earned your love. There's going to be members of the church who perhaps don't deserve your love. That doesn't give you any less of an obligation. Love one another, Jesus says, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then he says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And so the institution of the church is so much different in that people have the responsibility to love even 
when that love is not reciprocated. So if you have love one to another, that's going to differentiate. And so we can see it's Christianity's responsibility. We have a responsibility to love one another, to encourage one another, to help one another, to fellowship with one another, to be there for one another, just as Jesus has done for us. We haven't an option to love one another. We are under divine obligation to love one another. So we can certainly see this is not the Christian uh, this is not Christianity's option. This is not Christianity's benefit. This is Christianity's responsibility. We have a responsibility when we call ourselves Christians or Christ-like to love one another. Second thing that we see about love also in 1 John chapter 4 and in verse number 7, 1 John chapter 4 verse number 7 is that it's Christianity's result. Love is a result of Christianity, not just the responsibility of Christianity. It is a result of Christianity. In other words, when you get saved, we know this, there are certain things that are going to happen. One of the results is, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So one of the results of Christianity is a, is a spiritual transformation, a new creature, literally a new creation in Christ. That's one of the results of Christianity. We also know that one of the results of Christianity is a changed destiny. We know that we were destined for an eternal hell, but once you know Christ as your personal Savior, you are destined for an eternal heaven. There are other results of Christianity. Having a new song in your heart is a result of Christianity. Boy, there should be many other results of Christianity. One of the results of Christianity ought to be love for the brethren. Look once again, 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So being born again ought to result in love. Knowing God ought to result in love. Verse number 8. He that loveth not, or he that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. So God becoming your father your heavenly Father, ought to result in you having some of God's characteristics. Children inherit certain traits from their parents. And oftentimes we can look at someone and we can say by some of their traits, but just by some of their reactions, some of the ways that they interact, we can see how they have inherited certain things. Uh, from their parents. And since God is love, it stands to reason his children would also love because it ought to be a trait that we inherit from the Heavenly Father. You know, some of the traits we get from our parents are negative and some of the traits we get from our parents are positive. 
But every trait we get from the Heavenly Father is a positive trait. It's a positive characteristic. We should inherit this. It's part of Christianity's result. By becoming a Christian ought to result in love. Love is one of the good works that Christianity allows us to perform. When Peter wrote his first epistle in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse number 22, he said this, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit of unfeigned love. And so he, he's talking about salvation there. And you've, you've uh, obeyed the truth. You've purified your souls through the spirit and, of course, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. So that's the result, he says. When your soul's been purified, when you obey the truth through the Spirit, it results in unfeigned love. Unfeigned means it's not hypocritical love. It's not just love, of, love by words and not love by action. Um, let me give you an example of the opposite of unfeigned love. You tell someone that you love them, and then behind their back, you gossip about them. That would be the opposite of unfeigned love. That would be hypocritical love. Um, Unfeigned love means that it is genuine. It is sincere. It's not just a word spoken. It's action taken, because we know actions speak louder than words. So once again, Peter writes... Seeing, this ought to be obvious. You ought to be able to observe this in the life of a Christian. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, a result of Christianity. He says, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. It's not a casual love. It's a fervent love. It's not a hidden love. It's an obvious love. Anything that's done fervently is not camouflaged. It's out there for the world to see. We are to do it with a pure heart fervently. And then Peter goes on. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth, and abideth forever. Man, if that doesn't say it all right there, that someone who uh, shows unfeigned love for the brethren and loves one another with a pure heart fervently has obviously been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. This is talking about salvation. It's talking about one of the results of salvation. When you're born again, when you're a child of God, you're going to inherit certain characteristics of God. One of those characteristics is to be the unfeigned love for the brethren. Christianity's result. Not only do we see that it's Christianity's responsibility, it ought to be a result of coming to know Christ as your Savior. Hey, when a child of God doesn't love, he is deliberately quenching the Spirit of God whose nature 
is to love or he's not saved and he doesn't have the ability to love as God loves. Now, one of the problems in the church in Thessalonica was the fact that they weren't appreciating one another. Appreciation is an act of love. Well, we ought to appreciate our church. We ought to appreciate our church members. There ought to be that natural appreciation. There ought to be that active appreciation for one another. My, in, the, in the church of Thessalonica, this lack of love and appreciation, it caused Paul to challenge them to be at peace. Keep your finger here in 1 John. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians, if you will, 1 Thessalonians. The book of 1 Thessalonians. And one of the things, as I was considering this, one of the things that's intriguing is all the times that Paul has to address in churches, even in good churches, Paul has to address loving one another. It is so unnatural for us to sacrificially love one another that it's in just about every church, there's at least one incident. We know the church in, in Corinth. Boy, they, were, they were just bickering because it was such a carnal church. But even in the more spiritual churches, Thessalonica was fairly spiritual. Um, and in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 12. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and we admonish you to esteem them very, very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. And so, even in this church, Paul has to address being in peace among yourselves. How vital it is for a church to be at peace, church members, to be at peace among themselves. Look at verse number 19 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Quench not the Spirit. You see, quenching the Spirit will cause us to be at odds with one another. All right, take your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. The church in Philippi was, in fact, a very spiritual church. As a matter of fact, we've often looked at the letter to the church of Philippi. Paul writes this letter to thank this church for supporting him. And he brags about this church. He talks about how in his need, no other church had communicated with him. But the church in Philippi, which had communicated with him and had given him finances and had given him uh, financial help time and again. But even in this church, the book of Philippians, chapter 4, Paul has to address a problem in the church. In Philippians chapter 4, verse number 1, Therefore... My brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche 
that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also. There are two women in the church who are causing problems. And can you imagine, again, I was, as I was going over this, I was thinking about this. This church gets a letter from the Apostle Paul. Now keep in mind, when a church got a letter from the Apostle, it was a big deal. I mean, it was the Word of God. And we're, uh, this Sunday is going to be a special Sunday because we just got a letter from Paul. So we're going to take the service and we're going to read that letter. And can you imagine as Paul's thanking this church and, and the church is amening as he goes over his thankfulness and, and as he goes over doctrine. And then he comes to the closing of this letter and he names two people in the church. How would you like to be one of those two people? And say, says, I beseech Eudeus and Sintetic that they be of the same mind. I wonder if that solved the problem right there. I wonder if the pastor would just stand up and say, now, now you and you, you just need to get together, get your act together, because we're tired of the division that it's causing in the church. I wonder if we'd be a little less likely to cause divisions in the church. I don't know, but I do know that the Apostle Paul called people out. And it was because they were not practicing this biblical love. Hey, listen, if you don't want to get called out, just do what the Bible says. Love one another as God has loved us. A lack of love designates spiritual sickness it shows spiritual sickness i have a message i haven't preached it for a while on identifying spiritual sickness in your own personal life and one of the identifiers is you could care less whether you're in church or not Because one of the great things about coming to church is not just hearing the preaching of the Word of God. Obviously, that's first and foremost. But it's a desire to be with your family. A desire to be with your church. A desire... You see, that's loving the brethren. And I'll tell you what. The further this world gets away from God the more of a refuge this church becomes and the more of a pleasure it becomes to come to. Uh, It is such a place of encouragement. But I wonder about those who just are too busy to be here. The Bible tells us, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. A lack of love designates or it, it, it shows a sign of spiritual sickness. Now, many Christians don't know God or the love of God as they should because they're not exposed to God enough through his word, prayer, and, of course, in church. God doesn't want us just to claim him. He wants us to know him. And the more that we know him, the more we'll act like him. And the more we act like him, 
the more we are going to love. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Christianity's responsibility is love. Christianity's result is love. Number three, love is Christianity's reflection. Love is Christianity's reflection. Look at verse number nine, 1 John chapter four, verse number nine. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God not only taught about, but manifested his love toward us. That means he, he displayed it. He showed it. And God's love ought to shine through us. You know, an interesting verse is Job 25, verse number 5. It says this, the oldest book in the Bible. Behold even to the moon, and it shineth not. Have you ever considered the truth of that statement? The moon does not shine. The sun shines. The moon reflects the shining of the sun. That is actually just another proof of the fact that this is God's word. Because back in Job's day, they thought the moon did shine. But the Holy Spirit revealed to Job, the moon does not shine. It reflects the sun. That's exactly what a Christian is supposed to do. We don't shine, but God shines. And we ought to reflect that. And one of the reflections ought to be the love we have for the brethren. The light of Jesus is love. And we ought to be reflectors of that love. To manifest means to make appear. God made his love to appear before us. It was done through sacrifice. A sacrifice that not only helped, but made things better for us. Jesus didn't just come and help us. Jesus came and made things better for us. He gave us eternal life. Christians are to make manifest or to display their love for one another. And it needs to be a reflection of what Jesus did for us. Had God waited for us to ask for his love, it never would have happened. If God would have sat up there in heaven and says, well, you know, I'm not going to love them until they love me first. I'm not going to show my love for them until they first show their love for me. I've often told people who get upset, you know, preacher, nobody has me over to their house. I say, well, don't wait. Have people over to your house. The Bible says that we are to be a hospitable people. Well, preacher, no one, no one came over to shake my hand. Don't wait. Go shake people's hands. Get up out of your seat. Get out of your comfort zone. Move from your row. Uh, don't just uh, come into your door and walk the same path you walk every Sunday, every Wednesday. Sit down in the same seat that you sit down every Sunday, every Wednesday without going out 
and being an encouragement to people. Maybe someone else is sitting there just like you, waiting for someone to shake their hand. And you doing it will make all the difference in the world for them. Quit being about me, 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 what I want. That's not what the church is about. It's about what Jesus wants. If the church was about comfort, there would be no church because the church didn't come about unless Jesus Christ dies on the cross for our sins. The church is actually about sacrifice. It's actually about getting out of your comfort zone. It's not about being safe. It's about being sacrificial. It's about others. It's not about self. Our love should be a sacrificing love. Why? Because that's what God demonstrated for us. What are you willing to do so your neighbor can be saved? Are you willing to be inconvenienced so that others can come to know Christ or so others can be encouraged? Hey, what are you willing to do for others in the church? Are you known as one who builds others up, tears others down, or just as kind of indifferent to others? 1 John 3.16, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Lay down our lives for the brethren. That certainly would inquire, leaving my comfort zone so that brothers and sisters in Christ can benefit. Love is Christianity's responsibility. It's Christianity's result. It's Christianity's reflection And then fourth of all, love is Christianity's resolve. It's Christianity's resolve. Look at verse number 10. 1 John 4, verse number 10. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love is not telling people you love them. Love is showing people you love them. Christ didn't wait for us to love him before he showed his love for us. He didn't wait for us to compliment him about what a wonderful God he is. He loved us. Yet oftentimes, we hold back our love we hold back our, our uh, well, our actions because we're waiting for people to love us first. But herein is love. Not sitting and waiting for people to come. And then you might love them back. That's what the world does. Jesus said that his institution is going to be different. That if you have love one for another, and you do it as I have loved you, none of those disciples loved Jesus first. He loved them first. That's going to be the difference in the institution of the church. People loving. Even if, if that love is not reciprocated. 
Some people are not deserving of our love. Love them anyway. Some people haven't earned our love. Love them anyway. Neither were we deserving of the love of God, yet He loved us anyway. We are to love in spite of, not because of. One of the basics of having friends is to first be friendly. Not sit there and wait for people to like you, but to be friendly first. You know, you can't help but like people who go out of their way and who are friendly. And this is one of the basics. Be a loving person and people will love you. It's called the law of reaping and sowing. You reap what you sow. If you're a friendly person, you're going to have friends. If you're not a friendly person, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of friends. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Not a man who has friends might be a friendly person. No, this is, this is a mandate. If you're going to have friends you got to show yourself friendly. So what God would have us to do is always take the first step. Because that's love. Love is action. It's not words. Love is resolve. It's not reservation. Could you imagine if God had reservations about his love for us and waited and he said, well, you know, I really want to love them. But here's my problem. I'm afraid I might get hurt. Here is what would happen. He'd have never loved us. And yet that's exactly what we do in the church. Or we say, well, I've been hurt too much. Listen, God has been around since, the be- since before the beginning of this world. We could go back to the book of Genesis. He created a perfect man, a perfect woman, put him in a perfect environment, and they hurt him. And then the hurts just multiplied after that. I mean, how many times in your own life Have you hurt God? Hoping that at the end of the day, when you get on your knees, that he'll still be there to receive you. To find out, he's always there to receive you. God's love is a love of resolve, not of reservation. So as Christians... We ought not have a love that is full of reservation simply because I don't want to be hurt. Well, guess what? Whether you love or not, you're going to get hurt. So you might as well get hurt while you're doing the Lord's work because God will never leave you or forsake you. Love with resolve and not with reservation. We never gave God a reason to love us. We never gave God a reason to send his son 
to die on the cross for us. But without a reason, God did it anyway. And the reason he gives us, God so loved the world. So herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he didn't just say he loved us. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's true love. And that's the love God expects each and every one of us to have for one another. Willing to lay down our lives for the brethren. Our love for one another is to be as the love of God toward us. My, it's a hard standard to live up to. But you certainly will reap the consequences if you do as God has called you to do. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed. I remember a 